Hello, welcome back to Scuttlebutt, episode 55. Today is a Scuttlebutt episode, and today I am joined by Vic. Hi. And William. Howdy. Yes, that's right. You heard right. A Scuttlebutt episode. We haven't had one of these in a while because yeah. there's news to talk about, Vic. There's news. Oh, there's always news, but this is big news. Yeah, it's a lot Vic, of... William. Well, it sucks for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, f- feel free to cut me off. That's cool, man. Yeah, I'm all, all about it. All day, every day. I, I'm, I'm going to be a... Uh... I was actually going to start with Vic and then throw it to William because William is a lot better prepared today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's fine. Uh, I will uh, begin the riff sesh then, I guess. I'll play a, f- a few notes and then you guys just take there it. There you go. But yeah, so I think the last time we were on for a scuttlebutt, uh, Ukraine was still in the throes of a defensive operation. Yeah. That's not the same. They had just lost Lushansk. Well, there was a lot of talk um, of them pushing east and then the Russians saying, oh, no, no, we're just redeploying our forces Mm -hmm. to really surge in the south. Uh, yeah, that's different. Um, and now, th- we the nuke thing wasn't on the table back then either. And yeah, so yeah, uh, it's been a few months. Has it been months? It's been a few months. Yeah, since we talked about it, it was I think it's been what eight weeks since. Yeah. We talked so about what it, so. what we what we were talking about is a real as uh, a total shit show of an offensive from the Russians has now turned into. Uh, an absolute bludgeoning, yeah. and now a mass exodus out of Russia, so they don't get conscripted to go be fodder like circa, yeah. you know, Stalingrad, World <laughs> War Two style. Here, you, here's your, you get the ammo, you get the gun. If he falls, you can pick up that one. Well, so I gotta do the, like the historian timeout. That's a that's a Western stereotype. Of, I mean, that would have been true in the earlier days of uh, the German invasion of Russia, but by Stalingrad. Dude, they, don't they, tell me that. Who was it? Ralph Fiennes and uh, Oh Christ! No, 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 no. no. You're t- we're talking about Enemy at the Gates. So Enemy at the Gates. Yeah, great film, but like. Um, there's a lot to that pick was apart. St- that was Stalingrad, right? Yeah, that was Stalingrad. Yeah, that was Stalingrad, but mm-hmm. you got the actor wrong. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, Jude, Law. Jude, Jude Law. Law. Jude Law. There no, you no, go. but his, the the guy Ed who Harris. who had no the guy who had the um, crush on uh, Rachel Fiennes oh. was Ralph was Ralph uh, Rachel Wise was Ralph Fiennes or at least Ralph Fiennes' brother. Was that the Ralph? dude who's in um, Handmaid's Tale? You've brought that up twice today. I haven't seen that film. Dude, it's so a great show. We'll probably talk about a movie that came out in like 2003 is that I probably haven't watched it since like 2008. So, yeah. It was definitely it's, a it's, it's all, it's, he's a finds. I know that. <laughs> Who has a phone? Can you look it up? You know what? I do. Yeah. I do. I have it right here. So, yeah. Well, talk, Nick, Nick is uh, sourcing <laughs> us. So, yes. Um, last time we spoke, I was having an existential meltdown about the uh, Ukrainian-Russian war devolving into a World War One meat grinder. But uh, as of, uh, I believe it was late August, very late August, early September, they, the Ukrainians launched a major, major counteroffensive over near the uh, Kharkiv region, which is, uh, for everyone, our listeners who have a uh, map next to them, it is uh, eastern, northeastern part of Ukraine. And they retook, they retook Kharkiv. They, they really threw the uh, Russians off their axis at... For um, those who are paying attention, there actually was a lot of uh, information warfare going on, convincing the Russians that the counteroffensive was going to happen in the south. So you see a lot of Russian forces shipped to the south, and it's it's I mean it's a very typical uh, typical uh, maneuver where you know if your enemy's 
strength in another place. Rather than hit a surface, you attack the gap, which in this case was Kharkiv. And they s secured, you know, over 6,000 square kilometers from Russian control, liberated a bunch of uh, towns and cities. And it's really, really thrown the, uh, the Russian forces off balance, uh, especially the fact that now that Ukraine has the initiative, and especially considering that they're going into winter right now. So a lot of a lot's changed. I feel like throwing in there, too, aside from the fact that it was Joseph Fiennes. I told you uh, it was a Fiennes. You were right. I knew it was I'm going to give you mostly correct they, on they, this I, one. Mostly, I take mostly yeah. credit. Today, I'll take mostly yes. credit. <laughs> <laughs> but I think also a part of that, too, is when they did not fully push uh, Kursan, they did manage to uh, trap, I, I, I hear different numbers, Ten to 20,000 Russians on one side of the river. They're, they're having a lot of trouble getting resupplied, and Ukraine's not pushing very hard at them. But well, yeah, I mean, there's yeah. entire formations. I mean, yeah. at the, like, the division level, they're just getting annihilated. Yeah. And, like, to use the doctrinal term, annihilated, not just the colloquial. I think also we have to be, do have to be careful because we are getting our sources primarily f from Open. the West, from oh. Ukraine. Again, like, w with, any, with any war, if you read any newspapers or events or, or things that happened during the conflict, they're gonna be less reliable than a history written of that conflict twenty years later. So we're still. Uh, I don't. I, I don't. Again, that's they, not. To, that's you not can't, you can't argue with the battlefield geometry, though. I oh, mean, exactly. No, they, they're. What is mm -hmm. it? They they've taken back more than what the Russians initially had. Is that? No. Am I no, saying no, that? No, they haven't. No. No. So they they still um, it was it was a, a limited strategic offensive in in the Kharkiv region. There's still tons of areas still occupied by Russia, which we're going to get to later in the episode because that's heavily relevant now. But it, it, it like I said, the initiative shifted from Russia had it and their initiative uh, faded out. They couldn't uh, logistically keep up their advance. It became more of a, a slug, an, an artillery duel essentially, and artillery is logistically heavy. So it, the, the, as the Russian offensive grind down, Ukrainians reinforced with... Uh, Material from the West and uh, NATO ha took advantage of it and were able to uh, use their armored and 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 uh, cav formations to to outflank the uh, Ukrainian. Oh, that's sorry, not, sorry, the Russian forces in yeah. that where they're most vulnerable. Yeah. So, um, and not to be lost in there is the how they were maneuvering around, right? So, the. Uh, in the beginning, before, like, as we were starting to get them high Mars and stuff, Russia was content just to, like, plop outside of cities and just just bomb the ever-loving hell out of them, right? Yeah, they're pulling their Grozny playbook yeah, out. Yeah, just like, and they've done it, they did to what, at least eight cities, I can think of, right, that they just kind of camped out and just, like... Eight you know, cities in Ukraine? In Ukraine, yeah. Yeah, they're yeah, hitting, yeah. They are hitting Kharkov, they were hitting Kyrgyzstan, they did it to Mariupol, they did it to Zverodonsk and Lushashenko. Uh... We Lyman, apologize to our Ukrainian friends out there. <laughs> I've heard Ukrainians misspell their names of their own towns. Uh, I, forget, I get updates from Denis Devidov. On, on, he's a commercial airline pilot from Ukraine, and he doesn't pronounce them all the same either. So, like, I don't know, man. I don't know. But uh, so they are right now enveloping Lehman. Lyman? Lehman? Um don't look at me. I'm not Ukrainian. Limon? Limon. I, I know it's not that. It's an A. <laughs> I hope it's not Limon. Um, where there was a massive uh, rail junction, and the Russians very reinforced it. And now, that's kind of what I was just showing you the map of their... Uh, uh, oh, shoot. Uh, Vic was uh, them enveloping that town. Mm -hmm. 
So that's they're kind of right there in the hammerhead. For those of you who can't see it, uh, right now on the date of September 30th? Is today the 30th or the 29th? 29th. 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 Yeah. yeah, Ukrainians are actively enveloping line. So th this is an interesting juxtaposition, though, based off of some of the stuff we talked about in earlier podcasts um, regarding the Ukraine conflict is there was an article in the Gazette a few months back that was looking at the Russian formations as a form of maneuver warfare. And we, we took some liberties, I think, in looking at it through that lens. But clearly what the Ukrainians are doing is maneuver warfare. I mean, they use deception ops. They, you know, tapped into information as a uh, – as a um, – Mm -hmm. War fighting function. War fighting, yeah. fu they're, war fighting function. They're not running head into the fist. And then yeah. they then they they created a gap and then exploited mm -hmm. it. And they're using. I mean, if you look at them tactically, institutionally, they're using mission tactics. They're pushing the authority down to the lower uh, ends of the of the command structure and really allowing for uh, initiative to be taken advantage of, which is right. Which is very in line with uh, maneuver warfare. And, and it's also like you said. I mean. For the most part, the bulk of the Western support is now in the hands. It's not in the pipeline. Mm -hmm. Like, they're actively... I wouldn't say yeah. the bulk. I saw, like, a CBS report, I think it was, where it said only 30% of the material that is actually making it to the front lines. But, again, that's only one report. Right. War, war is murky. And, I mean, again, we are all pro-Ukrainian in this podcast, but there is issues of, of corruption with any war, though. This isn't mm -hmm. mutually exclusive to Ukraine. I mean... There's obviously corruption in, in, well, I mean, in our military endeavors abroad, but sure, I mean, of getting you, getting everything to the front line. But apparently, enough was got to the front line to make yeah. a strategic impact. Yeah, I mean, cue the music on Black Sabbath War Pigs for sure. Yeah, and, but at the same time, um, you, it, clearly this isn't a light infantry fight anymore for the Ukrainians. Not at all. Yeah, yeah. So, and they're not just using. And we had talked about this too. Like, will they have the ass to do a counteroffensive? Because at the time that we were looking at it, they were in. They're using mostly defensive weapons mm -hmm. in a defensive posture. Yeah. So clearly something shifted. And so I mean that goes to say that like, I mean you could sort of look at it two things is is that in a very sort of Western exceptionalist view, it's like our stuff is way better. Yeah. Well, they're using Humvees to do most of this. So like. They're not even in like heavy equipment. They're just hitting well. I mean, the gas High Mars is is a yeah, good one. High Mars, yeah. But to cover the, I mean, High Mars doesn't stand on. The oh, you're turf. talking about yeah for yeah. speed and tempo. Yeah, yeah. you could do. I so. mean, dude, Humvees are. <laughs> I know we upgraded, <laughs> but dude, they were. I mean, that was a mainstay of our inventory for decades, yeah. oh, and yeah. it's a reason. I mean, it's a extremely versatile piece yeah. of equipment, and um, I don't know. I guess I didn't look into it. If they if we gave them the Humvees, or they just already had them, but uh, yeah, they've been. Just but I mean, any of those sort those. of like, I mean, look at, um, looking at the historian here, but I mean, um, you know, North, the British in North Africa, I mean, they did, they ran roughshod with the, you know, those little desert rats and stuff using high speed, uh, oh, I light mean, armored. The, the British army in, in North Africa as, as the war went on the second world war, I mean, really was, was way more mechanized than the Africa Corps was. I mean, if you look at the battle of Elamain, for instance, I mean, the, the not tanks, and uh, armor personnel carriers and all supporting vehicles way outnumbered anything the Germans could muster. But that's also like that's that's the story of, of Germany and and really the, either the first or second world war is is, is being not not as uh, mechanized as compared to the opponents and then trying to 
to exploit that fault by by using a, a form of maneuver warfare. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, but re going back to uh, to Ukraine, it, it's from a lot of analysts I've read. It seems like the strategic initiative has shifted in Ukraine's favor, and it it is. And as winter setting in, and as, as I imagine, this is my my hypothesis from you know the Gazette, the Gazette associate editor. You know, my my all the authority I can muster on the Ukraine. It looks like winter is gonna is gonna force a. Uh, a slowing down of operations as it historically does not only yeah. in in the uh, eastern europe but globally as well so we'll, we'll see how how the posture is fitting but e even even then though the counteroffensive of ukraine has brought about a a turn in the geopolitics especially considering the next docket on our, our list of things to talk about is the mobilization of uh of russia yeah and we need to run that kind of in parallel too with the referendums they're happening about the same time um, but yeah, so mobilization of Russia, first they try to mobilize the republics, the so-called republics, Donetsk and Luhansk, um, and found that they couldn't muster even close to the numbers they wanted. So before they mobilized themselves, they tried to mobilize the proxy forces, and they just couldn't, couldn't get what they needed out of it because they've all been burned out. So then... Uh, Putin and uh, the Russian government announces uh, we're going to do a partial mobilization. Which, how many people? Well, is that? so we'd uh, so like the media narrative in the West is three hundred thousand in the first wave, but that isn't necessarily one hundred percent confirmed uh, given the specific uh, speech that that Putin gave. But the estimate is being that the first wave of will be three hundred thousand, and the I, I th again, this is our media is reporting that this could number eventually then with all subsequent waves be increased to a million and this has caused some great uh consternation around among the the russian people especially i've seen news reports of of actually protests i've seen i've heard instances of russian media are no longer referring this to as a quote-unquote special military operation is now being seen as a war i've seen a couple of clips i saw one clip especially of a uh, russian man shooting the the recruiting yeah, officer I saw that, yeah and uh so it this and as as usual, what Putin's going to do is he's going to recruit, and as as America will do, will recruit from the more rural um, regions where mm -hmm. they're more likely, more susceptible susceptible to government propaganda and 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 quote unquote patriotism, and try to mobilize uh, them first. So I've seen like a lot of videos of these Russian small towns in more rural areas where you see have like a lot of recruits being sent to sent to uh, training camps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. sorry. There, what there's like uh like a there's like miles long convoys uh at a lot of the Yeah, border fifteen to twenty too, kilometer yeah. long line at the Georgian border. Yeah. And we know Georgians don't like Russians to start with, so that can't be going well for them. Um, but yeah, I mean it definitely runs counter to the original narrative mm -hmm. and that is special military operation, we're doing this for the glory of Russia, taking you know, taking what what is ours and now all of a sudden you have this massive call up of reserves and you're now conscripting yeah. completely i mean just age appropriate you know uh, military aged people um that doesn't seem to fit and so yeah and i feel like that to kind of try and keep it the narrative down somewhat unsuccessfully they haven't shut their own borders down yet they right. keep uh, like ukraine had to do to keep the fighting age men in country 
So I don't know if that's because there's a lot more of them, and they're like, oh, well, we'll get enough regardless, or if they're just like, if they're trying to fight a PR war internally, I don't know what's going I on. I mean, I think there definitely has to be PR war, because I, th I think given how a Russian strategy was at the beginning of the war, where they tried to do a maneuverous approach to it and, and try to, when it, again, it was called a special military operation. It wasn't called an invasion. So the idea, I think the idea and the connotation behind it was that this would be quick, mm -hmm. and that's not the case. And what happens is it happened to America during Vietnam. It's like, okay, I keep on hearing about these tactical victories, quote-unquote, which I imagine that Russia has had, quote-unquote, tactical victories, strategic victories in, in the south of Ukraine. So they keep on hearing in the media, oh, tactical victory, tactical victory, tactical victory. But then all of a sudden, you know, months go by, more people are dead. The, the body count's starting to pile up. It's not maybe it hasn't affected a significant population of Russia, but it's starting to. And they're wondering, okay, if we're supposed to be having these tactical victories, and this is supposed to be over quickly, why are we now mobilizing? Why yeah. a lot of a lot of questions are are being are being brought up by the Russian population? Why you're seeing instances of open demonstrations against this? And then the rumors of also like when this happened that Putin went into hiding in one of his quote unquote vacation bunkers or whatever, uh, yeah. definitely brings up uh, questions on on the stability of the Russian government. Sure, I mean, and, uh, you know, much in the same way that, I guess if you were to look at it domestically or we were, you know, shine the mirror on ourselves, when you had fairly transparent government intention during World War II, a very clear enemy um, draft being a draftee wasn't a big issue. People were volunteering before their draft number would come up for Russia. No, no, no. Or, I'm or talking about States. us for yeah, yeah, yeah. here in here in the states. Um, uh, but then you fast forward a few decades in for Vietnam, where there was a lot more. The um, government was keeping things very close to the vest. There's a PR campaign that wasn't always on the up and up. Uh, very unclear objective very unclear enemy um you had this resistance to the draft this in the same way i mean people you know, hear the stories of draft dodgers people uh you know coming up with medical reasons to not you know using influence from family you know all of these stories people going to canada etc cetera, etc cetera. um so there was opposition here too so it's not that we are immune to the same same type of behavior, but I think there's a lot of sort of similarities now in Russia. Is the same as you made the the uh, analogy is, is that you had this thing that was supposed to end quickly against the upstart force that was smaller, mm -hmm. less well equipped, less trained. We're the big dogs. This will be over quickly. We'll achieve our goals, but they didn't articulate what those goals were. They didn't really understand their enemy. And now they've gotten themselves into a quagmire, and yeah, they can't lose face by pulling out. So now they're going to start drafting. And to, I will tell you from uh, the senior enlisted folks that I grew up with as a young lieutenant who who were junior enlisted Marines when we were just shifting over into an all volunteer force. Uh, having draftees, even the ones who enjoyed it and decided to stay on, it's a um, it's an interesting uh, mix, um, and I, I don't think anybody can really argue against an all volunteer force. I mean, look, I mean, even China is trying to adopt it. 
um, most well. I, the, only, the only issue with an all volunteering force is what happens when people start volunteering, as we're we're seeing in, in, in our mean, country stop, right stop now. Stop volunteering. Yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, the knee jerk reaction to a, con- a conscripted force is is tough. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a tough pill to swallow, especially when you're in the middle of combat. It does also, I mean, depend on the situation, scenario, what's going on. Like a conscription force in Vietnam didn't work out because it's war they don't quite understand. But I mean, look at America, other instances in American history where there were drafts, and the draft was more or less successful because the the threat felt real and it was real. So I'm not. You're you're right though. I I do agree that we've seen the value of an all volunteer force, but I mean draftees. And, and, and do have value when when they can add value when it's a if my country calls i'll answer situation exactly not, not if it's uh right if my country calls and i don't answer they're putting me in jail for 10 years situation um, yeah it, it's tricky i mean especially yeah. if you're seeing if, if you're not uh on the uh perceived right side of the conflict too yeah um so i mean again like if we were to take world war Two, there was no I don't think there were a lot of folks that were. I mean, you obviously had your isolationists, but as far as the threat that the Nazis and the Japanese Empire, imperials, imperialistic uh, sort of uh, intentions, there was no one was arguing that those were good things, mm-hmm. and that we should just idly stand by. I think even isolationists are saying that there's a certain, there are red lines even within that. Uh, here in something like this. Where you, you're taking a, a small sort of brush fire, initially a small brush fire sort of war, people are wondering like, well, what, what what are we really doing? And when the government's not being transparent about it, it does make drafting very difficult. And so those even those who are who do accept conscription, they're torn societally as well as sort of their commitment to the government. Like those things, the two things are in heavy tension and then you start getting into like training cycles um you get into motivation intent um willingness to fight willingness to die mm-hmm. uh willingness to adhere to orders that maybe are in con- you know conflict there's a lot of tension there that an all-volunteer force sort of gets ahead of in a certain way mm-hmm. yeah um, Which is kind of where now? Because like, for, uh, just sorry, sorry. I, don't, I don't mean to beat this horse to glue, but if I conscript somebody for six months. If I'm going to properly train them, 13 weeks out of that six, uh, you know, out of that six-month cycle should be in training, but I can't do that because I'm not going to get to the. There's not enough throughput on into the battlefield, so then you start shortening it, shortening it, shortening it. Pretty soon, it's like after rifle qual, they're good to mm-hmm. go. You know, like after yeah. week three or well, something. And because of all the corruption, and everything as they're digging into their warehouses of old AK-74s, they're finding them just rusted yeah. out and gross. Right. They don't have enough body armor. They can't make uniforms fast enough. Not enough chow, you even if you yeah, get all of them chow. out there. Yeah. So like, there's no way to. Uh, they were not ready to mobilize before they mobilized. Right. It seems like I guess. And they had the professionals, right? Yeah. And on top of so. it, manpower is a, a still a major issue because Ukra- uh, Russia invaded Ukraine with a, a, a what was it, like, like around like a third, no, probably less than a third of the amount of people we had when we, uh, when we counterattacked in Kuwait against Saddam. And, and the 300,000 people is a lot, but that's still, is that going to be enough, especially considering the fact the quality of their training to have, yeah. to, to, to I, again, we also, we don't know what Russia is going to consider victory at this point because their, their conditions for victory is, has altered. So we don't know what's going on in Putin's mind right now. It almost now. feels like they've kind of set their conditions now because they are annexing 
Donetsk, Luhansk, you know, the two republics, as well as Zaporizhia and uh, Kherson, you know, to add to the pool, mm-hmm. uh, pool with uh, Crimea. So that's five total Ukrainian territories they've annexed in the last 10 years. Um, Can they hold if Ukraine decides yeah. to take it back? So, well, and that's kind of where it's coming down to. Like, if now all of a sudden they are telling their people, no, these people, you, as much of a sham as it might have been, they're like, these people agreed to join us. These are Russians now. Mm-hmm. We are defending our lands and our people. Now, maybe the conscripts are a little bit more. Maybe. But I don't know how transparent the information ability is, You know how the ability for folks in Russia to get that kind of information. Yeah. So. so that brings up a, an, another part of uh, what we'd like to talk about today is the annexation that is planned. I believe it was planned for Friday. It's been announced, but there's going to be, I guess, a formal ceremony on Friday, the 30th, where they're going to bring these quote-unquote republics in, into the into the Russian fold, which also, you know, an, another thing that we can talk about is, is now the uh, genuine nuclear fear that could potentially happen because, you know, Russia and Putin has repeatedly said we will use nuclear weapons to defend our territory. But now that this pl- this area they just conquered, they're gonna start calling it our territory, mm-hmm. even though it's it's contested, obviously. Yeah, and so now if all of a sudden the Ukrainians are thinking of it, well, if they think that's their territory, we might as well just like actually hit them in their territory now. If they got if they get within range with their high Mars, if they if they get their hands on I some mean, longer range Russia missiles, proper. yeah, into Russia mm-hmm. proper, and just start raining hell on nearby, you know. It w- they would probably pick mil- military targets, but you know how that works out right. sometimes. So missile goes astray, lands uh, in a car park. Like you know, next thing you know, Ukraine is now aggressing, and things could go the other way really quick. So, and we have to be very careful in these instances for flashpoint events that could cause things to spiral out of control. And speaking of a flashpoint event that could cause things to spiral out of control, we have the Nord Stream pipeline explosion for Nord Stream One, and yes. that happened. Uh, within, for us, you know, the past 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like it might be. Yeah, NATO is saying it was sabotage, but I haven't seen the official report because it's behind a wall. But, uh, yeah, that is that is the supply of energy to Europe for the winter. And so, I mean, as my unprofessional uh, analysis from the Marine Corps uh, Gazette, it could be three things. You know, it could be caused by a member of NATO, it could be caused by Putin himself, or it could be good old Eastern European incompetence, and the pipeline just ruptured because it was... It's just bad timing. Yeah, yeah and it could just it's be bad timing, but regardless of, 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 of the cause of it, it does bring up a, an escalation where it can be used by any actors to justify further action on their part. Yeah. And it also it doesn't help that uh, Biden was on record either a couple of days ago when asked about uh, shutting down Nord Stream. He says, oh, we can do it, but... And then reporters said something on the lines of, but how, how can we do it? You're president of the United States. You don't control these. Like, and then he's like, oh, we'll take care of it. <laughs> and it, so I, I, rather whether it was a gaffe or a hidden a, a hidden uh, threat or veiled threat, um, but that doesn't it, it's, do definitely, it's, it's definitely poor timing to have, is it for that to be yeah. said and then for this to happen. So what is it? I mean, I guess for myself and, and hopefully there are other listeners who <laughs> chime in on this if – um, and respond, but what does that mean? I guess for us, uh, that this goes down. Obviously, it means a lot for Europe. But what does it mean for us? I mean, are we looking at 
energy prices increasing on our end? We don't or? have a great way of getting energy to Europe. Europe, right. We can get energy up and down the Western Hemisphere, no problem. Uh, our lines to Europe are, because in the past they weren't needed, there wasn't a, an right. impetus for it, aren't really there. So, like, we can't just, like, natural so gas isn't uh, crude oil. You don't just throw right. a bunch of it in a tanker, Barrels, right. uh, get it over there, and just have it, like, easily accessible. Like, you can throw a bunch of it into a tanker. They have specific boats for it but like it's not easy it's yeah and the energy density of it like it's and then they have to get it they have to process it and distribute it and all this other stuff and we can't like the ports are not able to load it up that fast they can't unload it that fast like natural gas goes source to destination pretty aggressively Mm -hmm. uh through pipes and if you have to start putting that out through uh uh, boats or uh, anything else, like even trucks, like we can't truck it over there. So, right. uh, so as yeah. far as us providing energy to Europe, I don't but know what that looks like. Yeah, because but are we are we gonna feel that here? I think we're gonna feel it yeah. here. There's gonna be pressure put on us in different ways, but I don't think it'll be a direct result of us trying to supplement. And uh, then Europe, would, does Russia feel the effects of it then? Uh, as far as energy goes, Russia doesn't feel anything. Right. <laughs> they, uh, so, I mean, I, I guess it, when you sort of look at it like who wins, who loses by this thing rupturing, it seems like this is sort of a Russian win. This is kind of, yeah. It this is a Western, a Western European loss, especially in the short term because yeah. Russia doesn't have to now suppose, I, I'm assuming that they've been planning for this eventuality anyway. Um, they are very energy both in calories for people and in energy for homes and cars independent. Mm-hmm. They do not have to. They are a massive exporter of food. They don't have to export that. They can keep that in and just consume it themselves. Like they're not starving out. Right. What they're going to lose is is liquidity, and liquidity allows them to go to China, go to Iran, go to anyone who will listen to them and buy stuff. So, and they're probably not going to get the same sweetheart deals Ukraine's getting from the West. So, when it comes to resupplying computer chips, when it comes to resupplying uh, processed metal, when it comes to resupplying, you know, a lot of that stuff, it's going to be harder for them because they're not going to have as much money. They're going to have to do it good for good. And I don't know how much China's interested in just, like, being like, okay, we'll give you this in exchange for a bunch of gas. Right. They've got their own domestic issues that they're dealing with. so. So... Yeah, that's a whole. Yeah, we need to get an like, economist. You know, in here we talked about yeah. like Russia becoming sort of a Chinese vassal state. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if they want to essentially bring on a welfare state yeah. into <laughs> what they're they're already things. Are. Anyways, that's a huge rabbit hole. But all right, so that that's very informative because you know as we talk about like sort of qui bono, right? Like who benefits um, from this. Uh, it seems like, yeah, the West will be losing out, at least like you said, in the short yeah. term. Yeah, we lose until April, I think, in this situation. Yeah. yeah. Um, just because then it warms up and they don't need as much, and they're starting to bring on some of their old dis- uh, uh, power plants that they had turned bring off. Yeah. Turn the stuff back on. Yeah. Yeah, so any of, if any of our dear listeners are European, write your respective leaders and say, please go nuclear. And um, <laughs> I know hopefully this will work out at some point. Speaking of going nuclear, um, yeah, so I mean, we sort of alluded to it. But if 
you know, they do the annexation, consider these parts of the Ukraine or parts of Ukraine as sovereign yeah. Yeah. Russian soil. Uh, where, you know, does that give them sort of the green light to escalate beyond conventional war? I mean, it, it depends on on how – I mean, I, I'll give a lot of agency this because uh, two pu- – uh, I love how – so I, I, I watch, like, a lot of uh, British series. They all call them – instead of, like, Putin, like, in America, they call it Putin. <laughs> so anyways, uh, yeah. I, it, a lot of agency goes to Putin in, uh, in, <laughs> in this one um, because it, it's, it, it's, it's, it's how, how he wants to roll the dice. Is, he, is, it, is it worth the gamble of using a nuclear weapon? Knowing that – there's a good chance there there could be a retaliation in in some shape or form. Now yeah. whether that's nuclear, I don't know. Hopefully, if not, but I mean, like, it could be as simple as you know our, the president of the United States pushing a button, destroying the Black Sea Fleet. There's a, there's a lot of consequences that could happen. If he, if he thinks those consequences won't happen, it might be worth it. Because especially as you mentioned, considering the, the manpower and material issues that Russia is having, yeah. uh, it, it's but it's. Uh, it, it, or is it just a threat? Is does he is he, is he trying to you know who's going to blink first, the West, or 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 Russia? And if if the West is really afraid of a nuclear strike, does that can influence how we handle this situation? So th- that's the, that's a great way of saying I have no freaking idea. Yeah. I can't say internationally if they do go nuclear, it's gonna. We've spent the last fifty years trying to fight nuclear proliferation and everybody's going to want to have nukes in their country that, at that point. Like, you are not allowed to live without nukes because people with nukes can do what they want. So it's going to create a new paradigm where now all of a sudden all the second and third tier economies of the world are going to be like, well, we can't, we need nukes. Right. And then the poor countries are going to be like, well, now we need nukes. And they're going to take money that could have gone elsewhere or they're going to go through channels that are unmonitored. And they're all going to try and nuke up. And there's only so much international ple- uh, policing we can do as uh, Euros, uh, you know, American Euro kind of Western. Uh, so really, force. then this it changes the the calculus, the international calculus. Mm-hmm. If we respond, everybody's going to want them because they're going to need. They're looking at it. Doesn't even matter what we do. For the moment, they use one. Yeah. They That's were able saying. to bully their way in because they Since have they use nukes. it, whether we respond yeah. or not, it's yeah. it just going to change. It's, yeah. mm-hmm. it's going to change the the, uh, the face of yeah. warfare, even if it's not. I mean, I, I hate to call a nuclear attack non-catastrophic, but I mean non, I guess like uh, world-destroying. Yeah. If they were to. Even if they use one off-site on a dam with nobody <sighs> around it. Uh, it's still going to change everything. Yeah. Be like, it doesn't matter how, how they used it. They went nuclear. And yeah. If we, we respond, need... there'll be a certain yeah. – sort of like a choose-your-own-adventure book, right? Like, yeah. If you respond, it's going to take you down one path. If you don't respond, it'll take you down another bit. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to keep turning the page. Like the world will have yep. – that'll uh, be one of those – what do they call it? Inflection points. See, this yeah. could be also like the alarmist. I mean, but I, I, I don't see a, a nuke being used and then – World War Three, in some shape or form, not happening. Yeah, as, I agree. as a result of it, it I, 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 I don't think we're almost obligated. I mean, Poland for sure will do something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. and we are contractually through the alliance. Yeah, obligated to support. There, them. There's no way they use a nuke, and Poland isn't somehow affected. <laughs> right. like, like, I don't know how. I don't, I don't know what situation 
Russia can use a nuke and Poland isn't freak out. Right. Like it doesn't. Right. I mean, and then the international yeah. community at that point then is is kind of obligated to then remove yeah. Putin. Then it becomes thirty on three, maybe. I don't. Yeah, know. maybe. So North Korea, China, and Russia yeah. against the world. So mm-hmm. for all of our dear listeners, start hitting the gym. Get ready. <laughs> learn how to grow food. Learn how to get water. Uh, don't Be- hit the gym. Grab a shovel. Start digging. Yeah. Get fit from <laughs> digging. That's yes. Sorry, Dad. Yeah. I tore up your front lawn, but look at look at my look sweet at biceps. Bunker. Yeah. And look at this bunker. Yeah. Look at this bunker. Figure out a way to power some um, some uh, UV lamps. Get some hydroponics going. If my, if, if honestly, if my dad came home from like one of his tra- work travels and just saw me building a bunker, he's like, "Oh, can I help?" <laughs> <laughs> like, this has been on my yeah. bucket list for a while now. Well, I rent. So if I went to my parents' house and started digging, I'd probably just hit the septic system and just create a mess. But all right, so go home, research where your septic system is, then dig, and when the process of digging, get jacked. <laughs> yes. Okay, that's uh, dear listeners. That's, yeah, that, then, that is your survival plan. Yeah, remember, hinge at the knees, not at your back. <laughs> <laughs> this might need to be a new recurring yeah, segment: yeah. how to prepare for nuclear war with the scuttlebutt asshole. <laughs> <laughs> don't please don't pay attention to that one because a lot of people will not do well, myself included. Um, so I guess, like all in some, like whereas we can applaud uh, this shift uh, and the. You know, military sort of grit and of the Ukrainian forces, mm-hmm. their ability to to weather the assault and then a very effective counter assault. Uh, but yeah, it's that that um, our excitement all over that needs to be tempered by the fact yeah. that this could be drawing Russia into. Uh, sort of a red a trigger line for them. Yeah, but if Luhansk and uh, Crimea turn into meat grinders, like if we get to a point just where Ukraine's sort of pushed so far, and the conscripts are just so these poorly these poorly trained, poorly equipped. Uh, poorly equipped uh, Russians just getting Ugh. pushed into the front end into what is now one of the best equipped, best trained armies on the planet. Um, with a ton of combat experience, yeah, ton of now. combat experience now, ton of support, tons of money behind them. Like it's like uh, you know colonialism in Africa all over again almost. But uh, if that if that gets to a point where like all of a sudden now there's tens of thousands of Russians dying a week, like I feel like the nuclear button gets closer, the finger gets closer to the button. Or the Russians take their fate in their own hands and and do a regime change on their yeah. own. I don't know. History is writing itself. Yeah, yeah. Stand by. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna rhyme with something. And we just don't know what it's rhyming with. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of songs it that could, rhyme it, with this. Yeah. yeah, it could rhyme with World War Two. It could rhyme with the asteroid hitting the dinosaurs a long time ago. So, <laughs> just all you all you can do is ever we recommend just stay stay informed, uh, educate yourself, uh, and do what you feel is is uh, best for your own survival. Yeah, and, and <laughs> help help inform us. Like if you guys know. What's going on, and you have a better feel. I mean, like I think of like uh, Andy Milburn, you know, with mm-hmm. the Mozart Group. Man, they're on the front, and uh, I'd love to have gotten him in here while he was in, yeah, in town. But um, yeah, there are folks doing things uh, that can speak to this a lot better than us. And so please write in, call in, we'll get you on the show, or we'll you know read off your emails. Um, but yeah, let us know. That's, if, that's yeah. what. if anyone's looking to contribute to the discussion that the Marine Corps Gazette is having on uh, maneuver warfare, 
uh, this recent Ukrainian counteroffensive is a great case study. There's tons of information out there you can do in research. And we would really appreciate getting all your insight you can because all of our young Marines who read the Marine Corps Gazette will really value from understanding the current application of not only this technology, but the tactics and strategies as well. So please, uh, this is an opportunity for you to shine and you can write in and it'd be great. And Vivek yeah. and I will read over yeah. it and learn us something. Yeah, uh, we have been learned. Like, uh, let's just give a shout out to uh, Tad Tomaski, Chief Warrant Officer. Five yes, yeah. Yeah, so like we love hearing from you guys. So it's it's fantastic. Anyway, so we're gonna put a little bow on uh, Ukraine right now, and we're gonna come back across the uh, the record scratch here with some uh, some uh, Gazette Gazette talk or ProDev talk. Which ProDev ProDev Pro Dev talk ProDev web website. Yeah. 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 So real quick, uh, Vic, Nick, and I, and a few of our uh, dear friends at the uh, Marine Corps Association here, are working on the pro professional development side of our website. We uh, have released a new uh, video, Marine Corps Association Films, uh, production of the uh, Incheon Battle Study Package that we offer on our website. So go ahead and, and check that out. We have some uh, battle studies for our Marines who are out of uh, Fort Sill and Fort Leonard Wood. We have the battles of uh, Washita and uh, Wilson's Creek uh, for y'all to go check out. So if you want to go to those battlefields and learn and apply some of that professional military education and then... We got uh, Vic. We've been working on over the TGGs. Yeah. So uh, as you guys all know, the Commandant is big on um, self-study, uh, lifelong learning, independent learning, as well as getting these reps and sets where you don't have to check out a bunch of equipment and check out a bunch of ammo. Um, so we are really pushing for the tactical decision games. We have a portal on our website, and uh, we've made it. We've, we've simplified the language. Uh, we've simplified the application. So go check out the uh, Tactical Decision Games uh, portal on our website. It's pretty uh, user-friendly. We'll be putting out a tutorial video soon, but the website is up and active. Uh, it's good to go. And, yeah, for you unit leaders, uh, you know, from at the battalion squadron level uh, all the way down to, you know, fire team leaders, uh, you want to get your reps and sets in without having to, to uh, reserve a training area. Get in your TGGs, get in front of a sand table, get, uh, get on a tabletop, and run these scenarios so that when it happens, when you're doing this for real, um, you're not you know, having to wonder or second guess. Um, you've got that muscle memory, that intellectual muscle memory to then uh, react when, uh, you know, your decisions is cost or save lives. So, yeah, get in the TDGs. Commandant's big on it. Um, talk All, yeah, also, yeah. if you want to write TDGs, yeah. uh, which is fun for a lot of y'all, please send them in to us. Hap we'll happily accept them. We can put them on our website. If you got a TDG like, about more recent things, um, such as, you know, information warfare, use of drones, or whatever, whatever is all new and hip on the uh, technological Marine Corps market, please feel free. Just submit it, send it over to us. We can get it. Uh, we can get it published and put on our website, and you can help your fellow Marines. Yeah. Uh, learn. And then right next to that too is the War Gaming tab, uh, that uh, Williams been putting together. It's really great. Um, and so again, tabletop exercises, online gaming, strategy games. Uh, so just take your learning to the next level. All right, and we'll be back with a little bit more after the record. 
All right, and that is going to do it for today's episode of Scuttlebutt. On behalf of everyone in the room, plus Nancy, who's not in the room, uh, was that your final thoughts, guys? You got anything to? Yes. Uh, stay safe. Send us all the material you got, and uh, we'll uh, look forward to uh, to you know jabbering on with y'all next time. Yeah, and uh, prayers go out to uh, everybody in Florida right now. Yeah. Uh, yep, please so, keep your head down. Yep. Don't let Hurricane Ian get you down. Hopefully, everybody took all their precautions. And uh, by the time you hear this, Hurricane Ian will be up here in Virginia. So uh, <laughs> I might be past it. Who knows? But uh, that's going to do it for episode 55 of Scuttlebutt. We are signing out. Catch everybody on the flip. Scuttlebutt is a production of the Marine Corps Association. I am Nick Wilson. That is Major Vic Rubel, U.S. Marine Corps retired. You have also heard the voices of or contributions from William Truding or Nancy Lichman, editors of Gazette and Mother Neck magazines, respectively. Opinions expressed in Scottlebutt are just that, opinions, and do not represent any official stance of the MCA.